0: You're listening to Well Made, a podcast from Lumi about the people and ideas that are shaping our patterns of consumption for the better. I'm your host, Stefan Ango. Wiley Robinson, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks for having me. Glad to be here.
0: You're the founder, CEO of uh, Rumple. Maybe people have seen your your blankets and other products out there. I like how your navigation is like blankets, not blankets. Makes it really easy for people to understand what you sell.
1: <laughs> yeah, we we definitely try to do that so that blankets are, are sort of the clear thing that people identify right when they come to our website. But what Rumble does is we take a lot of the materials that you typically find in outdoor gear and active wear and we apply them to an everyday blanket and a couple of other adjacent accessories, but largely the business is focused around blankets.
0: And so, like, to give a visual in, in people's minds, it's, I mean, to me, I actually just got a package from you. <laughs> I haven't opened it. It literally came like 15 minutes before we started recording. Oh, perfect. Uh, so, I haven't looked at your blanket yet. I, I have to unbox it live, maybe, but it could be a little noisy for people. Um, it's it, from the photos I've seen, at least, it's kind of reminiscent of like, you know, the material you would see on a sleeping bag or maybe like one of those um, Patagonia, like, puffy vest type of things. Yep, that's exactly right. Is it down or is it some other... What's inside?
1: We've got a couple different fill types. We have two synthetic insulations and two natural down fills. One is a sheet insulation, and that's in our original puffy blanket. We also have another synthetic that we've developed actually uh, that's called Nano Loft. And that's a cluster fill that's that's really similar in drape and hand feel and packability to down. But it's made entirely of post-consumer recycled content. And then we have two non-feather. We have a duck down and a uh, goose down. And those are just varying degrees of packability and warmth and price, of course, as well.
0: And why is that form factor of the blanket (laughs) something that, I don't know, people hadn't tried until until recently?
1: You know, actually, a really similar product to this has been made before. Um, And it's been made by some of the larger outdoor brands. And they actually made it originally... At least the story I've heard is that a number of these brands have made similar product for their like most elite Alpine athletes. So if you were you know climbing K2 and you didn't want to take your boots off at night, you would wrap up in a blanket versus uh, stuffing yourself in a sleeping bag. So the product existed, but it just really hadn't been marketed to general consumers in the way that we have. So we didn't really invent the concept. We sort of invented the use case, I guess. Got it.
0: And so I was just saying before we started to record, I was watching your Shark Tank episode just a few minutes ago, getting ready for this. And my my co-founder, Jesse, had been on Shark Tank a while back, like I forget what year, 2014 maybe for the previous company that I founded with her. And just watching it, I felt like I wasn't physically there, but I was getting like sweaty palms just watching (laughs) you. It seems so... I, I feel like part of it is the music and everything they add afterwards and how they cut it all. But it, how anxious were you going into it?
1: I mean, it's definitely a high pressure situation. I'm I'm not going to lie about that. Um, they, of course, edit it to make it more intense. And, you know, the music doesn't hurt that, of course. But it's pretty intense. I mean, it's the way that I've described it to people that have asked about it is it, it felt more like I was actually managing a conversation with a bunch of people than actually pitching my company. Mm. Um, you know the sharks are kind of like all talking at once interrupting each other it's almost like they're sort of vying to to get airtime i don't know if they're compensated based on number of minutes that they that they run on each section but it it was really like conversation management is how i would explain hmm. the experience so it's pretty intense in there for sure
0: i want to give people <clears throat> the director's cut version of Shark Tank. So if, if you're not interested in that and you're listening, just skip 20 minutes because I've been so exposed to the kind of behind the scenes of how the show is put together that I think it's really fascinating. And when Jesse went on for IncoDye, our our product that we made before, A lot of like entrepreneurial friends that I had at the time thought about that show as being very cheesy. And we had been like pitched multiple times by Shark Tank to be on the show and had said no multiple times because of that. But there was a turning point where Jesse, who's like very much a, I don't know, has been an entrepreneur her whole life was like on a flight sitting next to two like younger kids and they were asking her what she does and she was explaining like she was an entrepreneur basically and they were like oh like on shark tank (laughs) and it was like realizing how i think something that people don't realize is how much of an impact shark tank has had just on like business education and I think she kind of saw herself in those kids and was like, yeah, we should do it. It would be fun. Like, it'll be a good learning experience, even if we don't, if we're not necessarily like trying to get a deal or something like that. And so I, I thought that was pretty fascinating. And then, you know, a few years ago now, like Ring, uh, which got acquired, the the company that got acquired by Amazon for like a billion dollars was on Shark Tank too. So Just kind of that contrast of how big some of the outcomes and also how impactful it's been as a show to a lot of people, I think puts it in a different category, even though a lot of the pitches can be kind of cheesy sometimes.
1: Yeah, definitely. And honestly, we had a really similar experience to what you're describing there. Um, We had been pitched by Shark Tank a number of times. I actually was looking back through my email when I was searching for uh, emails from the, the casting director. Her name is Mindy. And I actually had an email from her back in 2016. So same thing. It was like wow. four years yeah. ago. Um, I think we were on season eight or nine or something. And, and Rumpel is part of season 12. So yeah, this was four seasons ago. But I had a similar thought. You know, I thought the, the show is a little bit cheesy. The, the businesses definitely at that time were not as mature as Rumpel is or some of the other businesses that we've since seen on the show. And so I, I you know, just didn't really think it was a good call for the brand to do it. I thought it might sort of peg us down a little bit.
0: So what changed your mind?
1: Yeah. So as I did more research, I mean, the first thing that that you mentioned there about the kids on the plane, I actually had a similar experience where I found out that this is like one of the top shows watched by families. You know, it's like parents, parents watch the show with their kids and they love doing that because it inspires their young kids to become entrepreneurs. So that was really enticing to me. And then additionally, when I spoke to Mindy this time around, I learned that to your point, Shark Tank has had a bunch of successful companies come on. And they like that. The show likes the fact that a number of the the contestants, I guess they're called contestants, a number of the entrepreneurs have actually gone on to create some pretty successful businesses. And they want to continue fostering that type of perception from the viewers that, you know, you can have this idea and it can actually turn into a real company. So they were targeting more businesses that were to some degree of maturity already to to further prove that out. And so, you know, if you watch this season, there's a bunch of companies on there that have been in business, you know, six, seven, eight years. There was one last week that was doing like $30 million in revenue. It's called Chirp. Hmm. And so I, I, I sort of thought about it and it's like, well, this actually, it legitimizes the show a little bit. It legitimizes Rumpel as one of the, one of the businesses that's, you know, part of that like mature kind of standout brand that's, that's shown on the show. And, um, I just thought it was a good opportunity. It's huge exposure. And I just, it didn't feel as cheesy to me anymore. You know, now that there have been a number of companies that have actually gone on to be successful, I thought it made sense for us.
0: Another thing that I, I'm just remembering now is that right before um, we did it, there was a change in the setup because it used to be like six or seven years ago that ABC would take a cut of the every company, no matter what. And actually, I think like the story was that Mark Cuban was going to leave the show if they didn't change that. So that's a part that I think is uh, kind of fascinating. I mean this is a thing that I think is is interesting in terms of what is real versus what's not about how the show is presented. I think the the actual recording part is maybe on the short end like 40 minutes but more typically it's like a, an hour to an hour and a half and then that gets condensed down to the five most dramatic minutes or the eight most dramatic minutes that that could have happened. Was that your experience?
1: Yeah, definitely. I was I was actually in the tank for 90 minutes. Wow. And yeah, they they whittled it down. I think the the um, actual runtime of our segment was about eight minutes or so. So yeah, they they whittled it down a lot. And there was a lot that was discussed on the show that obviously isn't shown. Generally speaking, I'm pretty happy with it. There's a couple things that are that are you know over dramatized for sure, but um, overall, that's pretty much what happened.
0: I haven't been a regular viewer. I think I've maybe watched like 10 episodes in total. But I do know that like (laughs) Mark Cuban, who backed out right away often will do so if he senses that someone's here for the exposure. Were you going in like thinking, what was your thought? Like, did you think that you could come out with a deal or not? Like your valuation, you had kind of come out with a $15 million valuation roughly, like looking for a six hundred. million. Thousand um, dollars, which is like very different from <laughs> many of the the shows yeah. where they're like, sure, I'll take fifty percent of your company. You no, know, you know, like for whatever some ridiculous sum.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I went on and I did actually want a deal, and and I went on specifically looking for help with expansion into the sports licensing channel. The episode was filmed back in June or July, and since the filming, we've actually done quite a bit of work on our own to make some headway into that channel, but. It is an extremely nuanced channel. Uh, There's a lot of politics, a lot of people kind of like taking slices out of your margin. And I just thought that partnering with one of the sharks, specifically Cuban, actually, would be a really good way for us to kind of fast track that process. So I was fully intending to take a deal if I got a good one going on there. You know, going back to what we were just talking about, about the edit, the one part of it that I actually think was inaccurate, at least the way I remember it, is... Mark was actually pretty complimentary of the brand. You know, like we built a profitable brand. We've we've kind of created this new category. He did go out early, but he was he was later strongly advocating for me, kind of against the other sharks. And none of that was shown. So
0: Right, because some of the deals coming in were like not so great. And there's like only maybe one comment that got kept.
1: Exactly. Exactly. So he he was actually you know, he was pretty complimentary of what we were doing, and I actually have since followed up with him and sent him a bunch of product to his house um, in California. He's got a he's got a summer house there, um, but that was the one aspect that I thought was a little bit mm. different than how I remembered it. But otherwise, it was fairly accurate.
0: Well, you have to. This is what I've learned from. If I ever had to to go on there, you have to really control your face because anything. <laughs> Any, like, yeah. crazy facial expression that you do, they're going to, like, zoom right into that or use that as, like, the ad break or something like that. Yeah. I remember yeah. with Jesse, I think she was in there for, like, an hour and a half, too, and, like, licked her lips at one point because she literally just parched from talking for an hour and a half. And they used that as the, like, she's, like thirsty like she's like she's a person who who (laughs) needs a deal like and (laughs) and and it was just like you know they're gonna take whatever they can out of your like uh face and 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 bump it up with some like strings music (laughs) yeah yeah
1: yeah so that's so when you actually walk out onto the set they do that and and you have to walk out and then there's little marks you hit on really there yeah and they pan around for you know 90 seconds or something just capturing b-roll of the sharks and you, kind of doing this stare down, and that's where they pull. I think a lot of those facial expressions from.
0: <laughs> that's funny. So you didn't end up getting a deal. What was your thought process like as you were hearing this stuff? Because that is, that is something that is real. They're like mm-hmm. people are throwing stuff out at you, and I think maybe that's the most nerve wracking aspect of the decision making process. Like you have to make a decision at that point in time about something that could affect your business for years.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I I modeled a few scenarios before going out there. I've never seen an episode where an entrepreneur goes out and just gets the deal that they ask for. So I knew that there was gonna be some negotiation, of course. And I modeled kind of a high end and a low end of what I thought could be possible. But what ended up happening, what ended up coming through as offers was just way outside the spectrum that I originally anticipated. The offer that I ended up getting was placing a $6 million valuation on the company. And we'll we'll far exceed that in revenue alone this year. So I I didn't think it was a reasonable valuation. And I I honestly hadn't even really played that scenario out in my mind. But yeah, you're right. That is definitely the most nerve wracking part is doing that on the fly math. And it's especially hard when you haven't even considered (laughs) what they offer you. So you definitely have to think on your toes. That part is very, very real.
0: So this was this aired like a few weeks ago. What did mm-hmm. you see? A big bump, or how was it? Can you say anything about what the sales have been like and the traffic to your website?
1: Yeah, we definitely did see a bump. It wasn't as dramatic as I was expecting. You know, I talked to a couple other companies that have been on the show, and they saw like you know ten to twenty times a normal sales day on their website. We didn't see anywhere near that, but we did see a fairly sustained bump. Um, it's kind of tapered off now. We're about two weeks after the airing. And it's more or less back to what we were seeing before before the episode aired. But yeah, it was you know it brought in a lot of new customers, people you know that hadn't been exposed to the brand, definitely converted a few of them. We actually had an inventory issue right before airing, too. So um, that was nerve-wracking as well. We actually turned on pre-order and ended up selling a lot of product on pre-order that shipped a few days later. but it, it wasn't as big of a of a revenue or a traffic spike as we anticipated. But overall it was it was certainly helpful and well worth doing.
0: I will say the the reruns have, have like a pretty big peak as well. Mm-hmm. Whatever your peak was, each rerun is like a decreasing curve of, you know, 70 seventy percent whatever the previous one sure. was. Yeah. And so it it is like a, a quite substantial actually, because um, they air every couple of months um your episode. So it's interesting. Mm-hmm. Who do you think Shark Tank is a good fit for? Who do you think it's not a good fit for?
1: So I think the best companies for Shark Tank are the ones that have a very defensible product. That was another reason why I was a little concerned about going on Shark Tank a few years ago is there's not a whole lot of IP that Rumple carries. We have you know, our logo, our name, trademark. We have a couple of the technologies we've developed protected. But generally speaking, you can create this, this product without infringing on any ownership that we have. And I think that companies or brands that have a a product that really can't be copied, because they own the IP, those are the ones that will do well on Shark Tank. And those are the ones that the sharks like the most, too.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. And what do you think of the strategy of just going there for the for the ad, basically, like, you know, if you're getting pitched from these casting directors, do you think there's a benefit there? I
1: mean, it's it's not a bad advertisement. You know, I think 5.7 million people watch the show. You should go on the show with an intent to do a deal, to actually want to do a deal. Yes. Yeah, because they'll see through that. For the,
0: for the fans also of the show, yeah. like you got to yeah. create some... It is still... <laughs> it's still drama. So you have to create some drama.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, and the sharks will see right through that. You know, on, on our episode... Cuban called that out as as he thought it was BS that we were going on there because we have a good cash balance and everything. But mm. for us, it was because we saw a lot of challenge in expanding into this new sales channel of sports licensing. So that was the reason for doing it. I definitely think you you should go on wanting to do a deal. Now, that being said, if you don't do a deal and you get the exposure, that doesn't hurt either. In our case, the additional revenue that was generated through the, through the um, airing was probably fairly comparable to the deal we were looking to make anyway. So <laughs> not doing a deal kind of got us what we needed anyway. I don't know if that can be said for other companies, but if your episode airs, you are gonna get a bump in sales and a bump in traffic and new customers and everything.
0: Yeah, especially if you have a product that someone can go to the website while they're watching the show and buy it. You know, I've seen some like apps and things on there sometimes that don't seem like they would work as well just because of there's there's a little bit of that like instant purchase kind of thing that makes it work really well for some companies more so than others.
1: Yeah, I mean, we saw the traffic come in while the episode was airing. So live, in that moment, people were going on their phones and shopping. Yeah. And I think service or an app or something, you're probably not going to get that.
0: Yeah. Um, you mentioned uh, moving on... <laughs> <laughs> from Shark Tank. I could keep going on it. I don't know how interested people will be, but I think it's fascinating. For
1: sure. Like it's, it's worthy of a good amount of time of this podcast actually, because it was a wild experience. Even though we didn't get a deal, I'm super glad I did it for no other reason than it was a really cool experience to have.
0: Yeah. And and just even kind of on a meta level of understanding all of the, the aspects that go into this. Um, like for example, one, thing that I was particularly involved in is we had packaging for our, for our product. And (laughs) it was sort of this like inception thing because we needed to get artwork uh, approved. All of the, like anything that goes on the air has to be fully uh, have like all the releases for it. So (laughs) on our packaging, we had someone wearing a t-shirt who had a photo on the t-shirt. So we needed to get approval for the graphic design of the packaging, the, person who's on the packaging the photo who's that's on the person on the back on the on the shirt on the packaging it was very uh, meta um so there's all kinds of like interesting details that you never think about that go into this oh yeah going into a little bit of of what you mentioned actually around the ip i think that's a very fascinating thing because you mentioned this at the outset that this is a product that it you know has existed before and um, hasn't been marketed to in this particular way, what has been your approach to kind of building a brand, building a company around this thing, if IP is not at the core of it? Well,
1: the, I guess the bigger picture here, which is not overtly communicated to customers, but I think they kind of get it once they, they look into what we're doing and into our brand. The, the bigger message is that blankets as a category are literally some of the first textiles ever discovered are, in fact, blankets. They've been done for thousands of years and really haven't undergone a whole lot of material upgrade. But meanwhile, we've seen this huge textile revolution happening in outdoor gear and athletic apparel. You know, like athleisure is this whole new billion-dollar category that's emerged in the last 15, 20 years because of performance materials. And really very, very little, if any, of that technology has flown through into this blanket category. So it's a really easy concept for people to get. We don't overtly state it in that way and and sort of beat them over the head with it. But they kind of come to the realization quickly that these materials will work really well for this use case. And then additionally, the the other thing that I think is sort of interesting about Rumpel is there's really no brands people can name when they think of blankets. One of my favorite questions to ask people is I ask how many, how many blankets do you have in your house? And they'll start counting them, up, counting them up and they'll say, wow, you know, I probably have 15, 20 blankets in my house. And then my follow-up question is always, okay, name one brand of blanket. And sometimes I get Pendleton or Woolrich, which, you know, those are over 100-year-old brands, great brands. But there's, there's no kind of like new, interesting, modern brand in this space, despite the fact that the category is just so ubiquitous. I mean, everybody has a blanket, if not multiple blankets. And they're actually bought into the category for you know, hundreds, if not thousands of dollars. So there's just this disconnect there, both from the material side and then also from kind of this like emotional brand connection to the category. And the the use case, you know, the way you use the product is actually super emotive, right? Like you wrap up to feel warm and comfortable and cozy. And there's no brand kind of owning that experience. So I I think Rumpel having this fun sort of approachable brand, cool, interesting technology. And then on top of that, you know, great aesthetics and good design, that just makes it like, really sticky as a as a product and as a brand that people get right away and want to participate in.
0: I know that um, sustainability is also a really big part of how you're approaching this. Um, and I think this is, especially in the outdoor market that you take some inspiration from, this has been something important, we uh, talked to uh, one of the founders of Peak Design and Climate Neutral. You're a member of of that, as well as 1% for the Planet, which is like part of the whole Patagonia ecosystem. What's been your philosophy around that?
1: Well, uh, definitely, you know, as a company that has roots in the outdoor industry, that's something that we get from consumers. You know, like the consumers of Rumpel, they want sustainable products. I think in more broadly, Younger consumers want sustainable products. Everybody acknowledges that this is a an issue that needs to get hold. And brands that aren't addressing it, they just really kind of aren't doing their part. So for us, it's it's really important. I mean, both as a, as a member of the outdoor industry, but also just as a as a modern brand that's trying to build products the right way. It's something that I don't think you can really overlook now if you're coming to market or or developing your product line. Consumers want it. The technology is there on the supply chain side, on the raw material side. And you really don't have to compromise your, your product at all to do the right thing in that sense.
0: And can you talk more about some of the, the efforts in that area? I don't want to minimize it, but it wasn't
1: a huge effort on our part. You know, we we work with a trading partner. We told them our, our goals with uh, sourcing sustainable raw materials. We had them send us. You know, we have a pretty, pretty simple product. So we've got an insulation and a shell, and we had them send us samples of product that was certified recycled. We ensured that 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 product didn't degrade the uh, expectation that customers had of our blankets in any way. We did all the tear strength testing. We tested hand feel, drape, durability. It it met all the requirements that we had from the virgin material that we were using before we transitioned. And it was easy to just make the switch. The cost didn't change a whole lot on the product. And all of a sudden we were able to just turn our previously virgin products into post-consumer cycle, hundred percent.
0: So I want to like take a meta view and combine these different elements. When I think about Rumpel in, in 10 years, are you a blanket company like blankets as a canvas? And there's going to be, I know that you've been doing a lot with, artwork on on that surface are you going to be like taking these materials and thinking about how outdoor materials can be brought into other areas of consumer or like everyday life or is it like sustainability at the core what's the kind of like center or heart of the company or is it all of the above
1: well i would say all of the above but i i think i can Focus it a little bit more for a better answer. <laughs> um, the blanket is going to be the core of growth for Rumpel, and more than likely, it's going to be the existing form factor of blanket in new sales channels. One of the companies that we talk about all the time at Rumpel is Yeti, um, Yeti coolers. You know, Yeti became you know in excess of a hundred million dollar company with just the brown tundra cooler, and it wasn't until um, I think until really they were bought by Cortec that they started really expanding their product line. But I think there's a use case for our product in a huge variety of settings and variety of sales channels. You know, we've talked a little bit about sports licensing. That's a big opportunity for us. Hospitality is a big opportunity. You know, we we have very, very small footprints abroad. So international markets are big growth opportunities for us. So certainly continuing with what we're doing and expanding sales channels is a big priority for us. To the other point you mentioned about bringing performance materials into other homeware form factors, that's definitely something that's part of the sort of like original DNA of the brand. We actually started the company um, with this idea of building out a category that we called active homeware. And we actually still have that term trademarked. But the idea is most homeware, you know, blankets, bedding, sheets, towels, robes, slippers, furniture, and everything, it uses relatively low tech materials. There's actually some interesting companies that have since come out that are doing similar things with performance materials. There's a company, Ruggable, now that uses like a DWR treatment on their materials, so stains don't stick to it. I mean, you could imagine furniture that's got coatings on it that actually repel stains and liquids, so you could never stain your couch. We're not going to proliferate or SKUs that broadly, but I do think that there's room for rumple in the way we think about indoor and home products using these performance materials that has some legs. So we're, we're trying to stay focused right now and really focus on the blanket category. But, you know, in, in talking about 10 years, there's certainly the opportunity to expand with the same design philosophy into some more product categories. Uh,
0: something that you mentioned on Shark Tank was that there were like 15 other companies in the world that have like similar kinds of products. How do you differentiate yourself when someone is trying to make a decision about buying something like Rumple?
1: Yeah, so the, there's a couple ways. I mean, the the first is sort of an obvious one, and it's just product quality. We are hands down the the best quality in this category. And there was a, a wire cutter like roundup of all the best outdoor blankets a couple years ago. And they reviewed, you know, fifteen or twenty of these of these blankets. And Rumble actually got number one and runner-up. So we got the best quality for our original puppy blanket, and then our down puppy blanket was the runner-up. It's the more expensive version of what we make. It's about twice the price. But top two there is like pretty definitive review, in my opinion, for the best in class of the category. So that's sort of the first way that we stand out. The next is is breadth. So we've got by far the the widest array of styles and prints. We treat this category like fashion in a sense that we come out with new seasonal prints twice a year. Um, We have a spring, summer and a fall, winter season, just like an apparel brand might and so there's a lot of like newness and freshness that we talk about each season. And then additionally I think that the consumers resonate with the focus, you know, like there's there's a lot of companies out there now that are doing really well just making one thing and I think consumers like the idea of brands specializing in certain areas and being experts in that and Rumble is the only company that just focuses on this outdoor blanket
0: category. It is interesting that because of how the direct to consumer market has evolved there's been more and more companies that you know it's it's really hard to tell if it even is a company there's been this term micro brands there's a great article and i'm i'm forgetting um the name of the author right now but about some of these companies that sort of emerge where you know you can build a company with like two people using all of the different gluing all of the different tools together like a, a You know your shopify website you've got some some stuff uh being drop chipped from from china and so really it becomes something that is like (laughs) what is this company if like the direct-to-consumer kind of vehicle allows for something to come straight from the manufacturer to the the consumer and really all it needs is a little bit of like branding around it How do you differentiate yourself? And something like quality is interesting because that's almost like a third party validation. Like you need, like you said, that guide or Mm -hmm. wire cutter type of thing to say, this one is like better stitched or it's got this extra thing that helps someone who's doing research make sure that they're getting like the highest quality. It's hard to, if you're in an Instagram ad type of context, for example, it's hard to Make that case in a way that's not going to make someone skeptical. I guess Um, is that some. How do you think about that?
1: Well, you're right. I mean, now is a great time to start a company. There's a lot of services you can stitch together, and and they span the entire gamut, right? Like logistics, product creation, customer service, web design, legal. I mean, everything can be outsourced. Rumple is is a really small team. Um, we actually only have one person working in our product department, and he manages our trading partner in Asia. So you're right; it's 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 incredible how you can kind of stitch things together. I think that that companies are successful when they do a couple of things. I mean, one, they need to identify a need and and develop a a good solution for that need. Um, in our case, we thought that blankets just don't really do that well outside right now. Wool blankets were kind of like the only semi-suitable thing for outdoor use and they pick up debris and leaves and all sorts of junk when you get them on the ground so they just didn't really work that well so we thought that sleeping bag materials would work really well for this use case and then we kind of like box that up in a really elegant solution and have some you know cool design and print um and that i think you know solves the problem that we saw pretty well so that was something that even though we're stitched together which with a lot of these services like you mentioned the creativity for that idea came from inside Rumple and that's Rumple owns that. So I think that it's really important that for a brand to be successful in this environment that, that we're describing here, they do have some degree of kind of like, I, I definitely don't want to call it magic because I think that's, that's giving it a little too much credit, but it's, it's some sort of like creativity that goes beyond all the services that are out there. Cause you're right. You can produce just about anything you want. But you need to come with the idea and have it be just unique enough that it's actually a new value proposition for the customer.
0: The article I was referring to is called The Strange Brands in Your Instagram Feeds by Alexis <laughs> Madrigal from a couple of years ago, where he, he kept seeing like a similar shirt branded with different names in his uh, Instagram feed. Uh, and it turns out they were all just like drop shipped from the same factory in China. Yeah. <laughs> he got targeted somehow.
1: There's a great article that came out a couple months ago. I shouldn't actually say it's great because because uh, Rumple is slightly maligned in the in the article.
0: Is this the plans article? Yep,
1: yep, that's yeah. the one. And it, I, you know, it's to, it's so spot on. I I actually wrote a letter to the the author of that, and I just said great article. <laughs> like this definitely hits it right on the head, and it's true because there's a lot of brands that come out now that are. I mean, Rumple is is mentioned in the article as being. Kind of having like this preposterous claim to introduce the world to better blankets, as if the world really needs better (laughs) blankets. Obviously, the world doesn't need better blankets, Uh, but we want to have like a really exciting, evocative mission statement. And he calls out a bunch of other brands that have these ridiculous mission statements. So you're right; the 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 ecosystem of these new direct consumer brands is pretty crowded and pretty pretty homogenous in a lot of senses. I, I think that all. The brands that he mentions, though, there is something there, you know, that like magic I was talking about before, where it is actually unique in some way. So, whatever that is, whether it's how you market it or how the actual product comes to life, or you know, the the endorsements you get, there's a bunch of different ways you can distinguish yourself. But there does still need to be something because otherwise, everybody would do it and it would be easy. And it's definitely not easy to start a successful
0: company. Well, I think that's the question that I'm getting at, which is like, what is the new? form of defensibility that you can have today?
1: I mean, this is is probably a loose answer, but I think it's kind of like hitting all cylinders in in every aspect of the business as best you can. You have great customer service, you need to have like real values that the customer can see that you actually stand behind. You need to have great product, you need to have great service. I mean, the, the product needs to get there as it is described on time, quickly, you know, for us, like, building great partnerships has been really key. I think that one of the reasons why, why some of the competitors to Rumpel haven't been as successful is just they aren't able to access the the partnerships and collaborations that we've been able to, for whatever reason, I'm not sure whether it's because they're not trying, or they just don't have the right brand positioning for people to want to work with them. I'm not quite sure. But there's, there's an aspect of Performance that you kind of need in like every aspect of the business for it to be successful, and I think that you can't really isolate one specific thing and say that if you do this, you'll be successful, um, because you know you can't do one thing really well and then completely fall short in other areas because customers will, you know, they'll they'll jump ship if you do that. So,
0: I'll put I'll put a link to this tweet in the show notes. But um, someone on on Twitter was saying basically what you're saying, which is there's there's this list of 10 different things as a startup you can maybe have 3 that you're really strong at this is the the list that he gives is brand team product service supply chain audience distribution ip and technology and like i think you can plausibly make a successful brand or successful company out of any of the combination of those 3 but it might be different. Uh, it may be harder in some ways than others. Or which ones do you wish you have?
1: You can't fail at any of them. You have to do at least, you know, yeah. good enough in all of them and then be really, you know, really highly skilled in maybe three.
0: Yeah. What are some of the the other areas that you've been exploring in terms of continuing to create differentiation? You mentioned um, kind of the... Athletic apparel. I, I'm think I'm guessing you're you're meaning like having various branded per sports team. Is that kind of what you have in mind? And and where does that take you as it relates to some of the other kind of like how the blanket can be a canvas for art and other things?
1: Yeah, that's right. So it would it would be, you know, essentially a rumple blanket that you see today, but with a team logo on it. And the reason why we think this is a a good move is the use case is just so perfect. I can't, I I grew up in San Francisco and I can't think of how many times at the time was Candlestick Park, but you go to Candlestick Park and it's like 85 degrees out middle of the day. And then the fog rolls in and it's freezing and everybody's wearing t-shirts and shorts and everything. And then, you know, you're forced to buy like a $200 varsity jacket or something at the concession stand And you probably don't want to be making that purchase, Mm -hmm. but like, there's just this perfect use case for the product at outdoor games. And I don't necessarily just mean pro games. I mean, you know, you could go all the way down to like little league and, you know, parents standing on the sidelines of their kids' soccer game. It's just a perfect use case. So we, what we, what we did in thinking about expanding into this channel is just thought first about the, the experience that the, the person is having and how our product could actually really help them, um, in that situation. So yeah. The idea would be to put team logos on Rumples and start probably with leagues that fall into season with when the use case is best, you know, probably like NBA wouldn't necessarily be an initial target for this expansion. It would probably be more like MLS or NFL, you know, NCAA would be, would be an easy one to pick off first, not easy, but an uh, easier one to pick off first. And it's just a really big market out there. You know, like the The challenge for us is going to be skew proliferation. And if you enter any league, you kind of have to have all the teams available. So we've kept our skew count pretty low to date. And I think that that's the thing we're going to have to solve for with this expansion is how to be really strategic about our buys and figure out which teams are going to be important for us um, and which leagues are going to be important for us. But the customer experience is the thing that we started with to identify that this is a great opportunity for the brand.
0: Yeah, it's a fascinating um, area that I have never really thought about. I, I've I've definitely been kind of on the sidelines watching the wide variety of different startups and companies that have been built in the customization world, which is another kind of not quite the same, but related, like, especially with the amount of possibilities that digital printing offers nowadays, uh, that you can go into some of those areas more easily. I'm guessing with Rumple, you'd probably have to like print it before you, um, assemble it, it would be harder to do like post, uh, post printing.
1: Yeah. That's another area that we're trying to solve for. The big thing with that is people that come in wanting custom embellished product, they want a really short lead time. You know, they want it to be like two weeks. And, you know, I mean, this time of year, especially in November, we just get a ton of inquiries that we can't fulfill, unfortunately. Um, cause people want them as like, holiday gifts or you know, to give out to their staff or to their VIP customers or whatever it is. And we just can't service them because of the lead time right now. So that's that's something we're trying to solve for right now is develop a process where we can do a screen print on a blank or maybe just a screen print on the stuff sack and actually fulfill some of those orders. But you're absolutely right. It's a huge opportunity. Um, and with digital printing, it's become an even bigger opportunity just because you know employers want to get their staff gifts or People want to get things customized.
0: What was your thought process in terms of building out these different channels? Um, you've mentioned a little bit about retail. I think that's a, retail and wholesale is a really interesting area to dive into as well. But thinking about direct-to-consumer, wholesale retail, you know, B2B sales, uh, I'm guessing with some of these sports licensing deals, that would be another channel altogether. How do you think about how you're allocating your resources towards all of those different things?
1: Yeah, that's, that's really the toughest part, honestly. And, you know, we've had thoughts about going into sports licensing for years and just held back because to your point, it just takes a lot of resource. You know, we, you probably need a dedicated channel manager. You probably need a product line manager that's managing all those SKUs I was mentioning. So we've just, we've just decided to stay really focused in, for the most part, outdoor and kind of adjacent outdoor channels, you know, snow, a little bit of surf here and there, but mostly like camp fish, run type specialty outdoor shops um, is, is where we're sold. Or at least those are the sales the sales channel we focus on. And the way we think about expansion is is exactly what you mentioned. It's just like, how much energy is this going to take? Do we have enough resource to support this? Because there's nothing worse than, you know, experimenting in a channel and then being unsuccessful and kind of closing that door for the future. There's one example I can give of that where we had some inbound interest. This is back in uh, maybe 2017 or something from West Marine. Like largest marine retailer in the country, and I think we had like three or four hundred doors or something. And we jumped on the opportunity. We thought, okay, this is great. It's big purchase order, and you know, a lot of distribution, big footprint. But we just didn't support the channel well enough, and the sell through was slow. And there was just it was just a one time order. And what we don't want to do is do that for entire verticals. You know, like entire consumer groups that could actually be pretty legitimate sales channels for us. So. If we ever get interest like that from a channel that we haven't been selling in previously, we really look at it and consider it. You know, right now one of the ones that we're getting a lot of interest for is patio. Everybody's at home and everybody's spending a lot of time outdoor. You know, in their backyard or on their decks or whatever. And Rumble's perfect for that, so it seems like an obvious choice. But we just want to make sure that we can support it with the right content, the right sales programs. You know, in-store fixturing is a big deal for us too, and so just making sure that that stuff is all kind of supported that's what goes into the decision for us if we want to expand into that channel
0: we're sitting here in uh november we're i guess you know seven eight months into (laughs) the pandemic um what was the impact of that in terms of your relationships with some of these partners and like i've seen like conflicting stories about how well you know the travel market was obviously down a lot, but then you know maybe some outdoors things were doing better. Um, how has it been as a year so far, and are there any lessons that you're you've learned from it just over the past several months?
1: Mm-hmm. So before COVID, our business was roughly fifty five percent retail, forty five percent direct, um, and and direct for us would include rumple.com and Amazon. We have no owned stores, so it's all digital. Um, but we we view Amazon as an owned channel. And now it's gonna be more like about 60% direct in 2020. So that shift right there was was probably something that a lot of companies you're observing have seen. At first it was really tough on the wholesale side because you know, majority of our business wasn't wholesale at the time. I think uh we reforecasted our year to be down 30% right kind of at the start of covid that has since really dramatically rebounded for us the categories that we're seeing do pretty well right now that i think everybody's seeing do pretty well right now are you know outdoor and recreation home improvement is a big one and then just like general comfort is seeming to be a really big one too if you're an apparel brand that has like a loungewear component to your line you're you're doing pretty well in those categories and rumple can you know have a conversation with all of those customers actually we can we can talk, you know, outdoor recreation, of course. That's that's our sweet spot. And then home improvement, we've done some pretty simple content adjustments to show more indoor use case. So kind of like, you know, accenting your room with a rumple, that's something that's been successful for us. And then the comfort factor, of course, is something we can speak to really well too. So there have been a lot of like new avenues and new means of communication and just really subtle tweaks to the brand positioning um, that have been pretty effective for us. So overall, you know, COVID has been relatively pretty good to this business. We're way up in direct, um, and then our wholesale has pretty much rebounded, and we're just about at forecast this year pre-COVID. So it's all it's all good stuff, and the channel mix has shifted a little bit as I mentioned. But overall, the business is healthy, and people are are drawn to the product during this time. So it's it's actually been pretty cool for us.
0: You've been through a few holiday seasons now what do you what how are you planning this year well how are you thinking about are you planning it just the same way you would every other holiday season or is there anything different about it
1: we definitely i mean it's kind of like all hands on deck for us during holiday rumple is a really giftable product you know there's no fit or size so and it's you know non-gender specific so you can buy the same product you would for your five-year-old Nephew, as you would for your eighty-year-old grandmother, um, and and it'll be just fine for both of them. So holiday in general is really big for Rumpel. This year in particular, you know, with more of the business moving to direct, we're we're definitely spending more time on that channel. Digital spend has increased prior years considerably. Uh, we also had that Shark Tank airing that we've talked about um, in kind of like mid-October, so that's brought a lot of new people into the brand. So um, making sure that we're educating those new consumers about what the brand stands for and kind of bringing them into the fold in the same way that we would any new customer. But it's just a little bit amplified because the volume. So I wouldn't say it's super different from prior years just because holiday is so critical for us that we're always really focused on it. But, you know, the, the potential is much larger this year with more of the business moving to direct for sure.
0: You mentioned digital. What have you seen there? I, I feel like it's been kind of all over the place in terms of. Well, especially with the elections going on, there's just like you're competing in a lot of different ways than you might have in other times. Maybe. Yeah, definitely. In the beginning, it seemed like a lot of DTC like companies were able to like get some better costs on their on their digital advertising. How 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 does it feel?
1: Yeah, we we saw that for sure, and. There was a lot of reasons for that. But we definitely saw really efficient ads for a number of months during election and, and during COVID, just people kind of pulling back from digital advertising in general. Additionally, you know, like there's I think that the, the businesses that got hurt the most were just the bigger businesses. Many of them were, you know, leveraged in physical retail footprints. And so they just had to pull back spend across the board. And so there's just a lot more property for smaller businesses like Rumple to come in and actually get some some airtime there in in the digital landscape. So that was really helpful for us. And then as far as you know, additional tactics that we've done that have been slight changes since COVID has happened. I mentioned sort of the brand positioning. We did do something that was sort of a little bit more philosophical, where we prior to COVID, Rumple was really like a sort of like top of the Maslow's pyramid brand, you know, like get out to the top of the mountain, self-actualize outdoors, like be all you can be, you know, all those sorts of messages and, and content images. And, and during COVID and post-COVID, um, we've really talked more about comfort and safety and belonging and security. So it's just like going back to more fundamental human needs. And we've seen those be really effective for us um, in our digital advertising as well.
0: Yeah, that's a fascinating idea that we're 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 definitely in a time of uh, lower <laughs> lower on the Maslow's chain. Hopefully we'll get back <laughs> yeah. up there. Yeah. Well, this has been great. I if people want to learn more about Rumpel, rumpel.com without an E, R-U-M-P-L. Is there anything else you want to point people to?
1: Yeah, rumple.com is a great place. Um, our Instagram is go rumple. So those are probably just the two I would point to. Those are the easiest ones.
0: Have you uh, read any good um, books lately or like listened to any podcasts or watched uh, any movies that have been particularly meaningful?
1: Uh, The Well Made Podcast, of course, (laughs) the one that I listen
0: to most. (laughs) I wasn't trying to be. (laughs) Uh, Okay. I wasn't fishing.
1: You know, you know what I actually just watched recently that was really interesting was the Netflix. I think it's called The Netflix Story.
0: Hmm.
1: Um, And it's basically just a biography of the growth of Netflix um, you know yeah. starting from like the DVD rental company to now the big content producer that's completely shaken up the Hollywood studios and everything it's really interesting just like the number of challenges those guys faced the number of times they had to reinvent themselves and kind of bet on these unproven models was super interesting um, it's Is like a, a real survival story yeah I, I haven't seen it on I think it's on Amazon actually ironically
0: <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: okay but I just watched it the other night and it was really interesting
0: I want to see the whole uh The whole chapter on Flickster. That's what I wanna I wanna see. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's it's all there. And I mean they they interview a bunch of like old Blockbuster executives and everything. And and Blockbuster actually really like put a dent in their plan. They they had these super cheap, you know, unlimited subscription rentals, big advertising budgets behind it. And it sounds like their investors kind of pulled away from that strategy. And they could have actually been the company that, you know, really like disrupted itself and actually put a big dent in Netflix plans, but we all know what happened there. So it was really interesting though. I recommend that.
0: Good one. I will check that out. It's amazing. I'm looking at uh, Netflix. It's amazing to think that they started in 97. You really know. when you think know. about that, that's, that's pretty nuts.
1: It's totally nuts. And it's super amazing too, because as I mentioned, like they've reinvented themselves so many times, you know, the, the Netflix of 97 was just completely different than what we see now. Yeah. And it seems like it's this new, fresh company because they've had to reinvent themselves.
0: Yeah. 97. I don't even know if we had, um, real player, like that, the original <laughs> streaming stuff that was created is probably like early two thousands. And, and even then there was, that was still the DVD era. Well, I will have to check that out. Thank you, Wiley. It's been great. Um, I really appreciate you uh, coming on the show. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, if you got something useful out of it, I would love to hear what that was. Consider writing a short review, could be just a sentence long, by going to iTunes and searching for well-made. I want to hear it all. I want to hear good, bad. I want to hear your constructive criticisms. I am just trying to make this show as useful as possible for you. So tell us what you think. That is the very best way that you can support the show. Thanks, and see you next time.